the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're so glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministry is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God designed you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Now we're going to go over some more of Philippians in chapter 2. And and we're going to talk about the whole issue of union and how the body of Christ interacts and all of that. But this, this section of scripture is so oftentimes taught as a list of the ways that you should act in ways that you should perform and what you should do. But I'm going to tell you that what we're going to read about is not what you can do, but what that life in you will do and does do, and the joy and the blessing is that you get to participate in it. So when I read these things, I don't want you to hear, oh, I should be doing that. I want you to yield and believe that He does. Okay? It's very important. Different perspective. I hope it's not a new one. We're in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, and last week we covered verses 1 and 2. And this is a portion of the letter that speaks to the Philippians about unity and harmony. And as I talked to you last week, one of the things I pointed out to you is that Paul knows and we know that it doesn't matter how much you know in Scripture and how much you know in truth. It doesn't matter how healthy a church may seem to be. The place of vulnerability for a fellowship, for a church, is in division. Jesus makes a big point out of letting you know that you're united, that you are in union with one another. He tells you to do things to connect to one another out of His love. He makes it clear that you're part of a kingdom. In the Gospels, He continually refers to the fact that there are His sheep. That's part of one group. That they are in His kingdom. That's part of one group. That they are His flock. That's one group. That they are His people. That is one group. And each time He refers to us collectively as being His. And then the ultimate illustration is that we are the body of Christ. Which means that from the head we are filled with all that is true of Christ and our very movement, our expression is His. But it is His collectively, not just individually. Now there's an important thing for you to know about that. If you try to isolate yourself in your, in your relationship with the Lord, you cut off a vital part of your growth, revelation, and maturity. You literally sever yourself from what God designed to bring about growth, revelation, and maturity in you. 
Now, it doesn't mean you won't grow. doesn't mean you won't mature. doesn't mean you won't have revelation. It just means that rather than seeing the fullness of the sunset, you're looking through a keyhole. Do you get that? Well, God has designed a way for us to know Him, and that includes every one of us. Looking at verses 1 and 2, he says, So by whatever appeal to you there is in our mutual dwelling in Christ, by whatever strengthening and consoling and encouraging our relationship in Him affords, by whatever persuasive incentive there is in love, by whatever participation in the Holy Spirit we share, and by whatever depth of affection and compassionate sympathy... Verse 2, fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. As Christians, our union is in Christ. Christians have no other place of union. It is in Him. It is not in our personalities. It's not in our affinities. It is not in our likes or dislikes. We have one common source of life, and it's Jesus. That's it. Now listen, the modern church of today has gone backwards in its understanding of what the body of Christ is because we're taking the opposite approach. That we pull people in by their affinities. That we keep people in, in touch by their likes and dislikes. That we've got to reach out to them on the level of their humanity. And I'm going to tell you that if you look in the Gospels, Jesus touched them at their spiritual need, not at their fleshly strength. Every time. And this is the truth. That when Jesus said, if I be lifted up... He was not talking about affinity. He was talking about Him as life. Now, here's the issue with the other. And please don't think I'm picking on anybody in particular. I'm just saying this is a paradigm that is worldly at its base. Here's the issue. If I draw a group together based on who they are in the flesh, I have to hold them together based on who they are in the flesh. But what I, what I believe is the natural method of growth is that the shepherd gathers the sheep. And he gathers those in to, to him that are willing to receive life. But if I go out there and I'm all about getting people involved based on what they like, and I, then I have to have all kinds of... I become a great community center and I have a lot of people showing up. But the reality is they're there. They're like the feeding of the 5,000. I can get 5,000 people who will show up for bread. How many have stayed for Jesus? How many? Look at how it finished out. Out of 5,000 people, how many people actually stayed with him? They were all fed, but then they left. And you know what? They were, they were interested in making a program out of it immediately. Well, let's go and crown him and make sure that he feeds us regularly. We've got a methodology here that works. We've got unity in the need for bread. Is that where he wants us to have unity? I don't think so. Jesus is our mutual dwelling as Christians. Though we're all on the same planet, we should never be defined by this world. If we are defined by flesh, now listen to this. This is the truth. And this is where that whole affinity and people group thing begins to break down. If we are defined by flesh, we will be divided by the same. When you look at verse 1... 
you see listed for you all the resources for harmony that are found in Christ and are to be manifested through the participation with the Holy Spirit. Our lives in Christ is the only place of true union for any relationship. In marriage, oneness is in Christ alone. If there's any other basis of oneness, it will fail and it will become dysfunctional or it will end in divorce. In families, our union and togetherness is in Christ first and blood second. Without Him as the recognized center and source of our family unit, we become a group of individuals all living under the same roof, warring to keep our individuality, warring to keep our rights. You see, Christ is the center, Christ is the source, Christ is the place of unity. It works and it is designed to work in each group, in each relationship that you ever enter into. It's what holds a fellowship, a family, and a marriage together. And apart from Christ, it doesn't work. And here's the problem. If we build the church on affinity on likes and dislikes, then what we say is that your relationship is empowered by your likes and your dislikes. Now let's take two of those people and let's take them to the marriage altar. Little wonder we have as many divorces in the Christian community as we have in the non-Christian community. Because they have become come to believe that the source of, of unity is in affinity. And it's a Christian marriage if their affinity is coming to church. No, it isn't. It's a Christian marriage if Jesus is at the center of it. And if he's not at the center of it, it is two people living together. Period. And what should be a covenant that says I can give and give and give and give some more and I will not suffer loss for Christ is my life. What should be a covenant at the altar becomes a contract for you to keep your side and you to keep your side. You want to know why we have divorce? Because we as the church have bought into the world's definition of what marriage is. And we started buying into it when we bought into the idea that that's how we reach people too. It's our only place of union. Paul is saying in verse 1 that to utilize every spiritual resource in order to live in harmony. He says to live out of the character of Christ himself. Do you see it listed there in verse 1? The character of Christ. That's the resources we use for unity. It is Christ himself. And you know what he's saying in effect? Yield to the Spirit of God, or to quote Ephesians 5.18, Be ye filled with the Spirit. You say, wow, that was different. Let me read Ephesians 5.18 for you. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that it's the filling of the Holy Spirit that allows us to live out the truth. Did you know that? And I want you to know, when we went through that, I said this before, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It is a moment-by-moment yielding to Him. And we do not have the capacity to walk in truth apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Your mind, will, and emotions will separate. We want to remember as we talk about Ephesians 5.18 that Paul was not talking about alcohol. He was telling us how to live and cope without depending on it. Okay? 
Wine was a big part of the Ephesian culture, so when they gathered together, wine became the central part of what they were doing. And this is, this is what Paul is saying, because if you look in that whole chapter, that whole section of ch- chapter 5, you see this is about unity. This is about unity. So the filling of the Spirit, in the context of the verse, is saying, Paul is saying, build your unity around Christ, not around things like wine and relationship. Build your unity around Christ. See, the filling of the Spirit, as you know, is God filling our souls with Himself. So God brings truth from the center of our being into our mind, will, and emotions so that we're able to express truth. Now, it's even bigger than that because God continually expresses truth through your living. He is always working. Jesus never stops ministering. That's how that person could sense Christ's presence in this boy's life. Christ's peace, not Todd's physical peace. Not his soul peace necessarily, but Christ's peace in Todd. She could sense that, and immediately it brought a question and a contrast. But here is the reality of it. Do you know why God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because this is where we participate in the finished work of God. It's where the blessings are revealed. It is why we're here This is where it becomes reality. This is where we quit reading about it and live it. This is where we depart from a filled notebook and enter into the truth of the walk. If you see that that context and you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, you see it follows through all the way out. Look at Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, the next three verses. He says, Speak out to one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and instruments and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. At all times and for everything, give thanks, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. That whole context is about the whole, the corporate group. It's not individual. Well, why would Paul start out being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and go into unity? Because in the, in the filling of the Holy Spirit, there is unity. And in the expression of the Spirit of God, that brings unity. And that is how we recognize our unity. It's in Christ alone. Listen to the verse again. It's, none of this is possible without the Spirit of God. None of it is truly possible. I mean, you can imitate what he's talking about. You can act like it, but it's not in your heart. Notice the focus of our mutual union. Praise to the Lord. Praise that is flowing from the heart through our voices in concert with one another. Continuous thanksgiving to our mutual Father God. And union with one another by faith, recognizing each person is essential to the body of Christ. That's what's going on through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now we come back to Ephesians 2, verse 2. It says, Fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord of one harmonious mind and intention. Okay, we are talking again about the filling of the Spirit of God in the soul. And I want you to see this. It says, The mind... Being of the same mind, okay? 
The will, being of one purpose, okay? The emotions, having the same love and intention. Only the Spirit of God can bring this about. He is talking about the soul being filled with the Spirit of God and through the expression of the Spirit of God through your soul, looking like you, talking like you, acting like Jesus, there's unity. There's unity. Only the Spirit of God can make that. And only the Spirit of God can give us a singular focus on Christ alone and make us one in purpose and intention. Paul ends verse 2 by telling us to be full, in full accord, and one harmonious mind and intention. Intention being the premeditated determination to live in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ by being yielded to the Spirit of God. That's not your will making it happen. That's the Spirit of God. That is a determination to be yielded to the Spirit of God that He might bring forth unity. We continue with verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing from factional motives through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard the other as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourself. Again, Paul is dealing with the issue of soul focus. The Amplified uses the word motives, and other translations would use the word ambition, but the problem is the source. If our motives are based in selfishness, which is independence from God, and by the way, independence by its very nature separates, it does. That's what independence is about. It's about separation. This is self-centeredness that he's talking about in the first part of verse 3. And this self-centeredness is not an impulse. It's a lifestyle. Understand that this does not just apply to the overtly carnal Okay, It will apply to anyone who is not actively allowing and choosing to allow the Spirit of God to guard and guide his thoughts. All the first half of that verse will be yours if you're not yielding your mind to him. Galatians 5:16 and 17 says, "But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and the desires of the flesh of the human nature without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, godless human nature. For the These are antagonistic to each other. Continually, did you get this? Continually, continually withstanding in conflict with each other. How often are they in conflict? Continually in conflict with each other so that you are not free but are preventing from doing what you desire to do. He will put His desires in your heart. Where does His desires come from? Where you're in union with Him. He will put them in the center of your being, which is your soul. Because they are His desires, if you are not allowing the Spirit of God to fill this area of your life, if you're not yielding to the Spirit of God, then these desires will be in conflict with Him. 
continually, continually you will be in a struggle. Because at the center of your being, you know who you are. But if you don't yield to the Spirit of God, then you're yielding to, to the walk of the flesh. And you're walking after the flesh. Living to the Spirit of God is to be a way of life for the Christian. In doing so, we live to the truth of who we are in Christ. That's why it says, be ever filled, continuously filled. If we choose to to live to the flesh, we place ourselves in the bondage of comparison and judgment. People who are walking after the flesh will always put themselves first. They may have moments of nobility, but in the heart, they're always, their priority is always to promote themselves. We're all aware, every one of us in this room is aware of how much work living to the flesh requires. All of the self-promoting, self-protecting manipulations and the fear and anxiety that goes with it. Being self-centered is natural for the lost man. It's all he's got. But to the Christian, it literally robs us of life. It's exhausting and it makes everything seem hollow and empty. And we all live there. We become bitter, cynical, judgmental, and insecure, ever seeking our own comfort at any cost. Paul continues, he says, Do not be prompted by conceit. You know, the, the root of that is vanity or vainglorious, which would be empty glory. The Amplified says empty arrogance. Interesting thing about this, when you look at it in the original language, it's, it's kind of, it can be kind of tricky to follow because you know that the Greek and Roman world had no word for humility. They didn't. They didn't consider humility to be important. In fact, they thought it was a bad thing. Humility wasn't a good thing. It wasn't valuable. Theirs was a society of rivalry and competition. In every arena of life, you were constantly, continually in competition with everyone around you. That's how you lived. Competition and rivalry. You worked hard to be superior to others and to keep others inferior. Gloating over their failures and boasting over your achievements. Now, is our society any different? It's all about how we look, what we drive, what job we have, where we live. We have to create all of these different points of comparison because that's the only way we can stay ahead of each other. Do we uphold the humble or the proud? Who are society's heroes? They're the very worst of us most of the time. They're those that have totally given themselves over, almost in an animal way, to worldly pleasure. And these are the people we exalt. We exalt them because they can independently drink and eat as much of the world as they want. And we want the same things. Do we? Really? No. For the Christian, that's not life. It's death. And it consumes us. The world esteems the wealthy and uses the poor to substantiate their agenda or empower and enrich themselves. You know, C.S. Lewis made an interesting comment. He says, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're really not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about, would there? 
You see it? If we are man-centered, we're always competing. If we are God-centered, we can afford to bless and hold others up. For we see ourselves not as independent, but dependent on Christ's life. And we have really nothing to boast in. He continues, Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard the other as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. He says, instead, in other words, as an alternate choice. He said, instead of choosing the path of the world of fleshly comparison, of fleshly competition, of being grounded in who you are in the flesh, instead of making those choices of bitterness and separation, choose life. Choose Him. Choose Jesus. We choose life, and when we choose life, we choose life for our homes. Don't we? Men, if you choose life, you choose life for your family. Because through you will flow life to the family. Thank you for joining us today for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. To get to know us better, visit us on the web at hislifefellowship.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If this message has blessed you, you can help support this program with your gift to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 781-529, San Antonio, Texas, 78278. And now, before we go, our prayer for you this coming week is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you and that you would remember that wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.